from the Appalachian region of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, NPR. This is the time when we need to write and make art for the sake of healing our souls and enriching our communities. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. So just slow down in This is Jerry Rogers, and today I'm looking back at the origins of Artemis Journal. For those of you that don't know much about us, back in 1977, I was introduced to an amazing woman, Dorothy Gillespie. We were here in Roanoke, Virginia. This is where she was from. But she had gone on to New York City and established herself as a very substantial artist internationally and national. She was known for her large and colorful abstract metal sculptures. She supported our fledgling idea of starting a feminist literary and art journal by donating a piece, a beautiful pastel, for our first cover. Well, you know, I didn't know anything about publishing, but I had the inspiration through meditation, and I had been seeing the amazing healing work of writing workshops with abused women. And when she got on board, it just gave us the needed spark. Well, she created quite a sensation when the uh, business community heard that she was coming back and she was going to be involved with our literary journal. They decided to throw a champagne brunch for her in her honor. One thing led to another. Uh, We decided this would be a celebration of women in the arts. We had the brunch at the Patrick Henry Hotel. It was lovely, over 100 people. And this art piece that she donated for our first cover was soon to become the first downtown art mural in Roanoke, Virginia. So she created quite a sensation. Now let's fast forward to this year. In, she was born in 1920. And we decided to go full circle and honor her again on the cover of our Artemis Journal since she would be 100 years old this year. She had passed in 2012, and she worked well into her 90s. We collaborated with the Taubman Museum as well as they were featuring a solo show, a retrospective of her work. So things started rolling. And then I met her son, her middle son, Gary Israel, who is our guest today. And he runs her foundation. So he's going to tell us what it was like to grow up with this amazing woman. She has over 3,000 pieces of art out into the world. And he grew up with her in Florida as well as New York City. And I'm so thrilled to have you here today, Gary. Thank you. Via Zoom, here we are. You're in New York. I'm down in Virginia. So welcome, Gary. Well, thank you, Jerry. It's such a pleasure and an honor to, to talk to you. I got to meet you last year, and I knew it immediately why my mother uh, connected with you and had such a great relationship, and I can't thank you for celebrating my mother's 100th birthday. 
Yes, it was wonderful. And also our theme this year was celebrating the passage of the 19th Amendment, uh, giving women the right to vote. So it's interesting, your mother was born that year, and she was such an ardent feminist. I mean, she supported women's work. She was very independent, and you'll speak to that as her son. So what was it like to grow up with such a dynamic mother? Well, we could go back to when I was in grade school, and I remember she would come into my art classes, and I was so proud because most mothers uh, were baking brownies for their children. <laughs> my mother was traveling the world. She was a true adventurer. She had shows all over the world at that time, and so she would come in, and I just felt so proud of her. And then, of course, after she passed away, I really started to learn more about her. And I look forward to telling the world about that and uh, soon to be in a film called Discovering Dorothy Gillespie. We can yeah. talk about that later. Yes, yes. So you had a or still do have a dynamic career in robotics, of all things. I understand that's a 501c charitable organization. So how did that transfer over to you assuming the role you have with uh, the Gillespie Foundation? Well, it's, it's ironic because I had no experience in robotics. And in 1999, when I started the program, uh, I did come from the business world into teaching. And that certainly helped with me with the uh, starting the robotics program. And it's 22 years later, it's more successful than ever. I now have two robotics uh, teams under the Gary Israel Morris Robotics Foundation. And then in 2012, my mother decided it was time for her to go. And she literally went on her terms. And I really admire her for doing that. But she also left me a foundation, two studios, lots of art. You said 3,000 pieces. If we included all the drawings, it's many more than that. And I keep discovering uh, more art as I travel around. So uh, my robotics foundation base um, really helped me with my mother's foundation because I had to now deal with the foundation and also travel around the country and meeting with museum directors and university presidents and curators and collectors to learn about my mother. And um, what I've learned just makes me even more proud. It sort of has inspired me to do what I'm doing. Um, when I started this eight years ago, uh, I had no idea when it would end. And there is still no light at the end of the tunnel because this woman was truly an extraordinary woman. And as you mentioned, quite the role model for women. And that's, uh, as we talk about the foundation later on, I'd like to tell you some of the things, exciting things I plan to do with the foundation. Fantastic. So she wasn't a traditional mother. You lived in Florida for a time and then New York. And then at some point you said you went down to Latin America, South America and lived? Well, yes. Uh, I was born in 1949. This was a time when my mother uh, discovered the abstract expressionism period. She also at the same time was a mother of two young children and she had a nightclub. It was called the Champagne Room. And my father was a clarinet player. So this, this young lady, my mother, was uh, 29 when I was born, 27 when my sister was born, 1947 and 49. 
And during the day, she would create her art, painting at that time. And then at night, she and my father would dress up and be host and hostess of this nightclub. And that was until 1951 when we moved to Peru, Lima, Peru. I don't remember it, of course. <laughs> uh, and then from there, we went to uh, Florida in 1953. Uh-huh. Well, the bar was down in Greenwich Village, right? It was a champagne bar, which is oh. unusual. It's... Well, it was more than a bar. It was a uh-huh. bar. Actually, my mother met my father in a bar, his bar, in 1943 when she moved from Roanoke to Greenwich Village. She was 23 years old and she met my father the first day. She had an apartment on the fifth floor. She found an apartment that day on the fifth floor. And my father owned the bar on the first floor. And that's how they met. And they sold the bar in 1946 when my father proposed to my mother with the condition of no children. Well, you know how that worked out. Uh, and then uh, in 1946, they bought this nightclub just a few blocks away from the bar. So it was a nightclub. Um, it was also a gallery because my mother was able to show her art on the walls. What an opportunity for a 26-year-old, just newly married, uh, a struggling artist, so to speak, to have this opportunity. Wonderful. And she went on, or they both went on, it takes two to tango, to have three children. So, so much for that promise, because your father was older at the time when he married her, right? And he had had another marriage with a couple of children. So, somehow, they got together, and it, like I said, it takes two to tango. It's not just on the woman. And she had three, well, they both had three children. You're the middle child. Well, thank God she had you, because she needed someone to run her foundation, and I'm not sure about the other siblings, but you seem to step into the role quite successfully. Well, thank you. It was quite enlightening, the art world, because as with the robotics, I had no experience uh, in engineering. And in the art world, I didn't have any experience in the art world. And I think I shared with you when we met that in 2012, if you had said, Gary, uh, eight years later, you will have met countless museum directors and curators and 14 presidents of a university. I never would have believed it. Now I can go into the office of a museum director or a curator and talk art because I've learned it firsthand by going out to 90 different cities around the country to see my mother's art in museums, universities, public places. So I've learned art, not in an art school, as my mother did in 1939, I've learned it firsthand, which has been really a great enlightening experience for me. What a fun thing to do at this stage. Yes, yes, it has been. You're an art pusher. (laughs) Well, your mother started out with landscapes and portraiture in the beginning, and then she discovered abstract uh, work, artwork. So how did that happen? And that's what she became known for. I look at her earlier work, and I'm always impressed. Love her portraiture, especially her self-portraits. But that that really put her on the map when she moved into the abstract art, uh, metal, large metal pieces, right? Is that how it started? Well, it oh, the story is that, uh, yes, in art school, of course, she did what all young artists do, landscape, 
uh, portraits. But my mother was fearless, a risk taker. And she said, I'm not gonna wake up in the morning and say, what should I, what landscape should I paint today? And this was the time in the 40s, of course, abstract expressionism, 40s and 50s. And she was part of that group uh, in New York City. And so she came to, uh, she was painting a cathedral. And, and you can see this painting now, this cathedral, and it looks abstract, but she was gonna paint it as a cathedral. And she said, no, 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 I'm not gonna paint another cathedral. I'm gonna let the viewer look and see what they wanna see in it. So she felt that there were enough landscapes out there. She wanted to experiment and she experimented with other mediums. That's what makes her special from a lot of the other artists, you know, that stayed with the one dimensional, two dimensional on the wall paintings. So she went from um, the paintings in the 40s and 50s to the happenings and environments in the 1960s when we moved back to New York City. And then she started to discover that three-dimensional to get the viewer involved in the space. And she started with paper. And that was something that uh, was very important for her. That was a process. She wasn't doing the metal yet. Uh, she was also at this time discovering mylar, which is sort of a metal looking and very shiny. And so she decided to maybe put the paper on metal because paper doesn't last long. And, and so she experimented with paper on the metal, and this is in the 70s, and then decided why not just put the enamel directly onto the metal. And then from there, she started to experiment with big pieces, uh, public places, very important for her to show her work outside of museums and galleries. And then of course, what she's known for today are her hanging starbursts which uh, had been displayed. And I'm so pleased with what the Taubin Museum has done this year. I can't thank them enough. What the exhibitions that they put on that, unfortunately I haven't been able to see in person, but I've seen on their videos, they really should be applauded for uh, the, both exhibitions. But you get to see my mother's early works and the process that she got to what she's known as the Wizard of Oz, Oz now. And also she's been compared to Dale Chihuly as Dorothy Gillespie is to aluminum what Dale Chihuly is to glass. And these pieces were quite large and I, I guess aluminum being lightweight was easier for her because she did the install, well she helped, had help with installations, but she did the major art pieces, right? Herself, she didn't have assistance in the studio making things for her. Correct. In fact, she did have assistance, but they were always from the theater. She loved having assistance from theater because they <laughs> could help install. And she could also say that no one was doing the work because they weren't artists. So everything that, that I'm surrounded by art, of course, where I am now and yesterday, I was so inspired because I was in my mother's studio, uh, surrounded by all her works. And I look at them and I say, she did every one herself, and she still had time for three children. I know. 
extraordinary woman. And I think when people see this film, this Discovering Dorothy, they'll learn so much more about this wo woman because I learned just since she's passed how, how extraordinary she was. And a shout out to the Taubman Museum here in Roanoke, Virginia. It's a real gem. We are so fortunate to have this museum, and they did a wonderful job with the retrospective for, of your mother's work. I mean, it was quite beautiful, and we had big plans. I know the museum had big plans. We were going to have a launch and collaborating with the show, and then guess what? The pandemic hit, and everything shut down, so so much for all that. But it was up and, you know, with limited hours, people did manage to see it. And thank God it's on video as well. Uh, now, in Radford, Virginia, the university there where Dorothy returned at one point and taught, the Radford Museum of Art has a permanent collection of a lot of her work, some 80 pieces. So if people are interested, they could look into the Radford Museum of Art. Now... Your mother, when she transitioned over to abstract art, someone had, I remember you mentioning this, that someone, she had met someone from Europe and said, you are so fortunate to be an American because you're free of all the historic weight of the art world in Europe and you can just be what you want. And that, you said, really inspired her and freed her up to just go for it. That's right. She she was a risk taker, and I really admired that. And uh, she's been my uh, inspiration, as I said, my role model, and can be such a role model to young women to take chances and and really, uh, she could have stayed with her favorite medium, which would have been the early abstract expressionism, and and maybe been more successful. But that wasn't who she was. She wanted to try everything, and she did. She even did hot air balloons, archaeology digs. She just lived an amazing life. And I've been asked many times if there's a memoir or a book. Uh, there is going to be an oral history project and, of course, the film. And there's been four documentaries. But if there was going to be a book, it would probably be No Regrets because my mother lived such an extraordinary life without having any regrets. And I think that's why she decided to have children. She didn't want to later on in life say, I regret I didn't have children. So she just had us right away. <laughs> well, good for her and, and, and yeah. good for us because we have you here today to keep talking about her legacy. So there's so much to dig into, but we're limited in time. But I wanted to know, what are some of your plans for the future? You, you've got all this artwork. I mean, I'm amazed when I see the studio up in New York when we, we do our Zooms. And it's amazing how much work there is. So what are some of the plans for the foundation? Well, of course, I give out art scholarships. Uh, Radford University has an art scholarship. Hollins University, Rono College, um, uh, James um, uh, James Madison has a scholarship plus uh, about eight other schools around the country. So I'm going to continue to do art scholarships for young women. Uh, I also give educational grants, and uh, this year, of course, I gave a small grant 
to Artemis and I'd like to do that next year. And uh, the Taubman Museum has an educational grant that I've given. So I give educational grants around the country. I've been placing my mother's art where it can be appreciated in the public, uh, in libraries, in hospitals. So I'm gonna continue doing that. I'm supporting um, the, the film which will be have wide distribution all around the country. I'm partnering with the University of Central Florida on that. Uh, we're doing a oral history project. I'm also funding uh, the digitization of my mother's archives. This is very important. Wonderful. I don't 24 cartons a few years ago to Rutgers University and People have to come there to study about my mother, but now that they're being digitized, anywhere in the world, you'll be able to learn about my mother, uh, but more, more than just my mother, but her art and the people that she touched. And that's what I've learned on this journey of so far eight years, that her art was a vehicle for her to meet people. And I use her legacy as that vehicle now to meet you. I never would have met you. Uh, and it's, it's a great story how, how we met. And um, I just, I'm, I'm blessed to, to meet the people that were touched by my mother's life. Well, she, she had a remarkable ability to just get to know people quickly and, and feel, she always felt it such ease with people. I noticed that about her. And when I first met her, I was up, ended up going to New York to her studio to pick out the first pastel for the cover. And we were on, I think I'd mentioned this to you, we were on a subway going downtown to lunch. And she sat down, she got a chair. I, I'm hanging on to the rails on the top standing. And she had next to her obviously a very um poor man homeless it seemed like and he ended up in our ride falling asleep and laying his head on her shoulder and i'm watching this and i'm thinking not everybody would handle this and she just looked up at me and kind of nodded her head and smiled I mean, she was just at ease and she, you know, didn't get up or brush him off. She let him sleep on her shoulder. And I, at that point, I realized what a remarkable woman she was. And I, I really think, you know, I fell in love with her at that point because I knew she was unique and she was talented and she was giving Artemis a wonderful pastel to, to get us off the ground. And I'll never forget that. And here we are. 43 years later, celebrating her. She's on this cover of our 2020 Artemis Journal, and we still have a few for sale for those who might want one. And, you know, it's just been a remarkable uh, path. And you never know when you meet somebody where you're going to go with them. And I would have never predicted this, but here, gotten to know you and crazy about you and hearing all the stories and the wonderful work and Thank you so much for your support of Artemis. We, we really, really can use that and appreciate it. And, um, you know, looking forward to the future, we're going to get through this pandemic, you know. But one thing this caused was this podcast. It was suggested to me when everything shut down. Doug Jackson of the Roanoke Arts Commission goes, Jerry, do a podcast. you got to keep the communication going. So, 
you know, good things come out of uh, maybe not such fortunate situations. So here we are. And uh, thank you very much, Gary, for all the wonderful work you do and, and continuing the legacy of your mother. I can't uh, thank you enough for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. And a big shout out to Skip Brown here at Final Track Studios. He does an amazing job. So thank you. And we shall see you hopefully soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Stay, stay safe. You too. You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all-inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a women's shelter in southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org. You can mail us directly in P.O. Box 505, Floyd, Virginia, 24091. The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon. And the song is Just Slow Down, a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in. If you want to read, you have to slow down. Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios in Virginia. All rights reserved. It is co-produced by Jerry because Rogers you can't and buy back your time And you know you can't lose touch Of those things That you love so much You love so Just slow down if you've got to, baby. 
Just slow down. 